Chapter 15, Code Red. It's time to bring him in. You're done messing with Sub-Zero? I didn't say that. I said it's time to bring him in. Introductions must be made. Will Lady Hawn attend? Yes, but let's not mention that. Silver's taken a liking to Breezy. He has good taste. I may allow it if he behaves. And if not? Lalo, relax. Formal introductions will set everything straight. I would have sworn my existence couldn't become any more perilous. Luna's blade whistled past my head, offering its own opinion on the matter. She was stronger and angrier than she looked. Two could play at that game, and I unleashed a bit of my borrowed strength and speed. Our weapons collided, throwing her off balance. Our audience was enjoying every second of the bout. Asher commented with oohs and gasps and the occasional clap, while Court remained stone silent throughout the heated exhibition. I pressed even harder, offering Luna my take on the situation. Your hangover smells expensive. It might not have been the best idea to piss her off further, but I didn't realize she'd been holding back. I retreated to the edge of the practice mat, trying to outlast the power and speed of her onslaught. She knew I would have to slip sideways, trying to remain in the ring but out of reach of her heavy blade. I took a half-step to my left and blurred forward, angling back to my right. Before Luna could adjust her stance, I was inside her guard. I punched out with both hands on the shaft of my weapon, catching her across the chest. She flew backward, mimicking zero-G for a second. I didn't stop. I dropped my glaive and raced forward, hoping I hadn't killed the young woman. She managed to flip herself over and landed on her feet in a backward skid. Planting her weapon in the mat, Luna halted her momentum and steadied her balance in time to counter my charge. Her glaive swung in from the side. I'd forgotten mine, so I ducked the blade and tackled her, dragging her down to the mat and pinning her weapon beneath us both. I had her right where I wanted. She won with a whisper. Twelve. You killed twelve people. I had no response, no clever dodge or bone-rattling block. A simple why would have given me a chance to find my balance. A how would have given me a chance to faint and duck. Caroluna Rayner was a pro and preferred an unblockable strike. I was a sub-zero killer. I had her pinned to the mat beneath me. Did Luna think her words would stop me from doing what needed to be done? Do it, she said. The words echoed in my head as they ran free from her lips, and at that moment, I realized that I was lost. My anchors were a party of false friends and ghosts and serial killers, I'd never master the glaive or the balance it required. Feth. I raced from the workout room, leaving everyone wishing for more. After a long, cold shower, I strapped myself in for a nap. Gold dresses and pain-filled glaives ran through my head, ruining my concentration. What had I lost? I had awoken to a new reality. I was still a child at play in an adult's world. There, insanity ruled in isolation. Who needed the lessons of the Immaterium when the weight of the Hive could destroy you in an instant? Twelve. 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 My comm device chirped. I wasn't present. It sounded again and again, growing more insistent, but eventually it stopped, and I slept. Hours later, a bear crawled into my room and poked one sharp claw into my side, whispering, Is the porcupine awake? What kind of world creates a living entity so averse to being touched that it surrounds itself with wicked spikes? Fulcrum 4 is one such world. Yes, he is, I whispered back. Is he locked in? Yes, he is. 
You have company downstairs. Who? A lady and a man. They visited before. Mother is happy to see them. Jenna, please unlock the bear. Is he back? You'll have to unlock him to find out. Are you that brave? Are you? That sounds like a tickle challenge. Jenna pressed the emergency release at the foot of my bed and ran screaming from my room. She was a smart little girl. I didn't change out of my scrubware. I would have only had to change again once I found out what was up. I'd seen Bree and List only twelve hours earlier, and everything had been calm enough. They were immaculate. Brianne wore a modest dress with a diamond sheen at the hem that drew the eye. Evan wore a dark two-piece suit and tried to hide his frown. My mother didn't hide hers. Peric was having a bad day. We were worried. Evan looked in shock at his sister. Brianne? Bree, my friend Peric needs some help getting dressed. It was the gentlest of nudges, but I got the hint. I took a deep breath and replied, placing yet another impulsive bet. Bree, don't you mean your boyfriend Peric? The look on my mother's face was worth it. My little sister had unlocked the bear, so I held out my paw to Brianne Holland. Perfectly manicured and laser buffed to an unnatural sheen, her hand lacked any claws or extraneous hair. It felt warm, fully human, and she leaned ever so slightly into my careful embrace. Evan Holland relaxed. Get a room. I mean, Parrick, we've been trying to get a hold of you. There's an important meeting planned for tonight that you must attend. Code red and all that. The timing couldn't be more perfect for a bear coming out of hibernation. Attire? The usual colors. Nothing too formal. Where shall we meet? The club room. Zero hour. Lala will be there to escort us. You seem nervous. Why? There will be a test. I bet there will be several. Will you be there to back me up? I will. Evan, too. My mother remained in the living room, drastically limiting my response to that declaration. Keeping my hand on Bree's shoulder, I moved in slowly, giving the young woman a chance to turn away. Bree's eyes watched my lips. Her head turned the merest fraction in my direction as I kissed her on the side of the mouth. For Parrot Kilhaven, it was the highlight of my young life. My mother reacted to the rare display of affection. Does your father know what you're doing? Mother, I don't work for the general. I'm broken, remember? The point of separation had come and gone without remark, but our paths had diverged along with everyone else's. The Holland siblings were part of a new path, and we'd been building a level of trust. I'd been trying to do the same with Luna Rayner as a friend and training partner, not realizing that she was always on the job. If I was simply Parrot Kilhaven, we might have had a chance, but every night I went to work as someone else while she went as herself. Evan Liston Holland and his sister Brienne understood my life, even if they lived on the opposite end of the hive. Every day that went by drew me deeper and deeper into their world. Tonight would be another big step. Wanting to make a suitable impression with the Red Baron and his court, I called Asher McNeil with an emergency wardrobe request. Fortunately, she was taking my calls again, and I begged for her help. What will you do for me in return? She replied. What do you want? I liked how you moved this morning. Can you teach me how to use a glaive like that? Wouldn't your friend Agnes be jealous? If you were a woman, maybe, but we're not like that. Agnes has her machines, and I prefer a softer touch. Okay. Okay, what? Okay, I'll teach you. My other lessons ended this morning, and I need a training partner. Can my brother train with us, too? No. Can you handle that? You won't hurt me. We'll start slow and do me another favor. Wear something with more padding and less allure. Peric, that's no fun. Think of it as a challenge. I can only swing one pole at a time. I'm starting to see the wisdom of Agnes and her machines, but it's a deal. 
I'll have something over to you immediately. You'll be a bloody silver knight heading to court. Within the hour, Asher arrived with the designer of choice and a small team of sycophants. The concept was simple, but the details were immense. The long sleeve shirt was blood red and bulletproof. It would complement my mesh-lined leather jacket. Over the shirt, a vest made of ceramide added a thin layer of protection, front and back, against hammers, feet, and fists. It took some time to adjust the overlapping plates, but once it was done, everything felt as light and comfortable as my custom-made boots. The silvery-gray sheen of the exotic armor fit perfectly with my mood and bolstered my confidence. Under it all, I wore a new skin-tight Fibrex bodysuit, one that ran superconducting fibers from each of my arms to grounding plates on the toes of my boots. If another electrocution was planned, I would be covered. Asher was enjoying the moment. Are you sure you're dating the right girl if you have to get this prepared to go out? You make a good point, but you've seen her. Do you think she's worth it? That woman from Span. She's totally out of your league in a psycho killer sort of way. Ash, you're totally out of my league, but that won't stop me from swinging a glaive at you in the morning. Ha, ah, I bet you say that to all the girls. It was an insightful start to a night full of truth. The entertainment lines in Sub-Zero would have formed by now, and I felt out of place in the quieter zone of the Underhive. Having explored most of the area in my sleep, I had a good idea of the route we would take to reach the abode of the Red Baron. Any deviation outward toward the pit or elsewhere, and I might have to object. Lalo Green seemed to have stepped up his game, hanging up his bartender's apron and donning formal attire. List and Bree had done the same, still armed as usual but with an added layer of protection. The Red Baron had plenty of guards wearing purple auras as well as yellow. They were usually found in pairs, though four guarded the entrance to the Baron's estate, and several more stood at his side in the immense gutted Underhive temple. The repurposed hall was longer than expected and out of proportion to its width. Like a bottle, I thought, with only one way in. The lack of any seating was another hint. The tall walls were adorned with colorful, backlit, laser-cut windows, mimicking the dimensions of a cathedral. I wondered if his place had been ordained by the Hydra Ecclesiarchy. At the far end, overlooking the ruler of the Underhive, the golden face of the Emperor shimmered in diamond-coated glass. It was a priceless effect usually found only in the hallowed halls of the High Temple or the Overhive. I found comfort beneath its steady gaze. It seemed as if the Baron did too. But on that point, I was dead wrong. As we neared the far end of the room, a contingent of eight wardens filed in the door behind us, stoppering the only visible exit. In their midst, a middle-aged individual took center stage. I couldn't tell if they were a man or woman, but the aura they wore would drive anyone mad if they studied it too closely. A glowing shield seemed to cycle close to their skin like a warp-tainted bodysuit, challenging the reality around them. Thankfully, the group remained at the hall's far end and well back from the Baron's proceedings. The Baron was a red. Like silver, it was a rare color in the Underhive, and I was about to learn its true meaning. I am Arakel Redwine, the Baron of the Underhive. Welcome to my domain. With a touch of gray in his black hair feigning at wisdom and piercing eyes that demanded one's attention, Redwine reminded me of the head of any noble house. Manners were a luxury of the Overhive, down here they were simply a ruse. I was in search of clarity and didn't see the need to hesitate. Well met, Baron Redwine. 
My friends call me Silver. Your domain extends far beyond this eye-catching estate, and I found it anything but welcoming. The young man isn't blind. A far better choice than the last, Lalo. Redwine held out his hand to me, ignoring the content of my remark. I'd been tested at every turn in the sectors stacked below Ground Zero. The man before me was the prime example that others followed, and as much as I might want him dead for his negligence, I wasn't here to die beneath the blades of the wardens waiting by the door. Stepping forward, I drew a short breath and clasped Redwine's hand. He held on tight, and I could see what was coming. Kisco would have been proud. An explosion of raw dark energy traveled up my arm and into my chest. The Baron channeled the warp energy through his hand, and it ignored my body armor completely. It was blinding, and I cried out with nostalgia at the familiar torture. Not wanting to wander off into a wall, I didn't let go of the man's hand. His sure grip guaranteed my place in the world like no other. Images of hibernation vats and surprising electrocutions flooded my brain. I scrambled for an anchor and found it leaning untouched against the wall of the Overhive's penthouse, a shiny new power glaive. I offered the unreal deluge a place to gather in comfort within the long blade. My red-coated vision cleared, and I dropped the color from my eyes, splitting my focus in two. Part of me channeled the wicked energy away while I admired the Baron's red-rimmed corruption. Instantly the flow of pain dropped by half. He felt it first, and I kept my expression blank, letting the mirror of my eyes tell him a new tale. Don't feed the silver parasite. I knew with a certainty that the glaive upstairs was beginning to glow as it overflowed, and I made ready to spare the rod by spoiling the master of this domain. Redwine let go and stepped back. The lesson was over. I spun through the instant, re-examining what had happened. A door within the Baron's mind had opened, allowing the hideous raw energy of the warp to pour through until his power slammed it shut. It cost him his red-tinted energy to perform the maneuver, but the trade was far in his favor, and the results, as I said, were eye-watering in the extreme. I looked over at Lalo and List, and the surprised looks on their faces. Bree stared at the floor. She hadn't warned me, but that would have made it worse, I was sure. Baron Redwine, you've got a strong grip, but as I was saying, your methods need work. What does a whelp know about methods? I know they're doing more harm than good in Sub-Zero. You've been stirring up the gangs and leading them to their deaths. The Underhive has its purpose. The hive must be stirred, or it will explode. Tell that to the dead citizens at fight night last week. More than twenty had died at that event, but the final twelve had been my doing. A dozen or two is far better than a million. That wasn't your aim that night. Fight night is a prime outlet for the lower hive, and your ploy nearly shut it down. The presence of the Arbiters was a severe complication, and yet I'm told you handled it with aplomb and a bottle of Starfire 69. The Baron lived a life of manipulation and played a game of deceit. He was the counterbalance to the silos and order of the Overhive. Still, there was a cost for my services. Searching for clarity amid the prescribed chaos, I replied, Where do we stand? We. I am the Lord of the Underhive. There are no houses above or beside me, speaking figuratively, of course. You have the honor of guiding the fates in Sub-Zero and carrying out my wishes. The fates provide protection and stability where it is needed and guarantee that our establishments provide unending loyalty, distraction, and vice. You will do as you see fit, unless I tell you otherwise. And the constant threats? There will always be threats. Find them, and deal with them. 
The founding of the 10th Legion agitates the Lower Hive, while also having the potential to carry off some of its more heinous troublemakers. Lalo sure seems bored sitting behind that bar of his. Maybe he should enlist. Boss Lalo is the doorkeeper. He manages the acquisition and distribution of special imports and must keep a low profile. The fact that he's found someone competent leads me to believe that he's smarter than he looks. I've been told that you favor the pair of siblings on my left. Is this true? Knowing their family history, I've extended my protection to Breezy and List, and I expect you to do the same. Are you aware of my family history? I have been informed. I dare say it will cause you more sleepless nights than it will cause me. If you find the need to disappear, we can make that happen. I crossed my arms. You seem entirely sure of your position here. Redwine grinned at my skepticism. Make no mistake. Only Lord Gund can destroy this city faster than I, and your father couldn't stop either of us if we chose to do so. It is the nature of the Hive. The towering density of humanity acts as its own trap, binding the sanction to their duty, while others, such as myself, pick at the ties. The Baron's reference to a trap wasn't ignored. The Baron liked to talk, and I liked to have answers. I saved the darkest topic for last. Who's that? I pointed over my shoulder toward the entrance to the room. Lady Horn. She offers her counsel and helps deliver the contracts that expand our power. Her wardens provide further protection and an incentive for the fates to remain face-forward and obedient. The more I looked, the more I felt the poison stirring in the woman's soul. She attracted the alien energy that leaked into our world like a walking, talking portal into the immaterium. The presence of the wardens took on a brand new meaning. They hemmed her in, keeping the dark energy from jumping out into the room. She was the most dangerous person I'd ever seen, a cosmic cancer, and she shouldn't be here beneath my city. I'd found my quarry, smiling at me like a bouncer in Sub-Zero. Her message was clear. My abilities would be worthless, and I would be torn apart if I crossed the line. Remembering my manners, I turned back to the Baron. I slipped a gray dagger out of my sleeve and held it out to Redwine. The weapon remained inert, tapped out. I've brought you a gift, an item for one of Lady Han's wardens. The Baron took a quick step back. How do you hold it? Bring it here. Lady Han's command was abrupt, yet fire-fanged. The woman's harsh voice churned my stomach, and everyone in the room looked at me with displeasure, as if I'd asked the witch to bark. Do as she says. Another order. This one from Redwine. I'd thought that I was past the trials of the night, but they were only beginning. Suddenly the length of the hall made sense. The distance allowed the various powers to coexist safely within the same cocoon. As I walked back toward the entry door, I could feel the presence of the wardens as they enveloped the warp witch in a bubble. That is what she was, without a doubt. The warden's gray energy was as much a deception as it was a curse and a destroyer of those with borrowed or tainted souls. Perhaps if the wardens all struck her at once, they could take down the witch before her warp energy expanded to consume them all. I'd never know. Second from the right, Lear waited, watching and wincing at my approach. There are withering stares, and then there are the eyes of Lady Han surrounded by her cage of greys. Nearing their cohesive formation, I felt like I was dying by the second. I stopped ten feet short of the small group and trembled. Lady Han. She hissed at the men around her. Give him some room. None of them moved an inch, yet the power of the wardens receded. Lady Han signaled for me to come closer. The warden's massed ability bore witness to her power, and I questioned the balance that they maintained. Somehow they could direct their dampening force, 
dialing it up or down, and even channel it into their daggers for more discreet use. Lady Han was no lady. Every fiber of my being wanted to reach out and punch her square in the face, or better yet, flee to the spaceport for the first shuttle off of Fulcrum 4. I held out the dagger to Lear, hoping he'd meet me halfway in the exchange. The witch stepped forward and clamped her hand onto my wrist. I see you've met Lear. Have you met Silgo? He's a grave dancer by trade and here to celebrate your death. Enjoy his jig. No, I had never met Silgo or known the curse of a grave dancer, but it was an entirely apt description for what happened next. My arm went numb, and the dagger dropped to the floor as a bolt of black lightning leaped from Han's hand. It was energy with a purpose. I exploded. The underhive disappeared, replaced by a barren landscape. A battlefield. Darkness interrupted by God-sent flashes of light. An electrical storm raged, spiking a dry, cratered expanse. Uniforms, bodies, and unclaimed limbs were strewn everywhere beneath an alien wind. Eyeballs glittered like pebbles at my feet. Another gigantic bolt crashed close by. I flinched. A young girl giggled in my ear. I felt empty and abandoned, tapped out. I opened my eyes, all of them. My soul had shattered onto the floor, walls, and ceiling of the defunct temple, turning the scene into a million points of pain, each with an eye towards Silgo. Welcome to the dance. My physical body staggered away from Lady Han, taking a small step in a taunting hop. Out of habit, shards of my being clung in desperation to its boots. Points of light jumped from the walls and ceiling, falling like tears in search of a gutter. I couldn't hope for anything but an end to my existence. Jagged pain rode its own energy and followed its own purpose, drawing slivers of silver back together. It pooled. I pooled. The broken reality remained. I stood, a ghost at my own funeral. 